already. We don't have all morning to do that. Good morning, Grace. I'm so excited to be with you today. Um, I have the opportunity of doing a one-off, and if you know what a one-off is, we're kind of in between series right now. And so we had Daniel with us last week. Did you guys enjoy Daniel? Oh my gosh. Such a gift, such a gift to have him with us. And today, um, I have the awesome honor of sharing this platform with my daughter, Michaela. She's going to be coming up and sharing some of her story with you. So I'm thrilled um, to be able to introduce her to, her to you today. Um, we're going to talk about knowing the voice of God. So I'm going to pray for us, and then I have a question for you. Father, thank you so much for the gift of this fellowship. I thank you for your family. Most of all, I thank you for your heart of love for us. And God, I ask now that you would use me and that you would use Michaela to guide us deeper into an awareness of your presence and who you are. For surely, God, if we encounter you, we will never be the same. You are a God who rejoices over us with singing. You exalt, exalt over us with great joy. You quiet us down with your love. So God, I pray now that we would find that quiet place inside with you and that we would hear your still, small voice. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your faithfulness, and we pray this all in your precious name. Amen. So my question for you is this. If you were to hear God say one thing to you today, what would it be? If you're longing in your heart to hear God say one thing to you today, what do you long for you to hear him say to you? Sure, surely if you hear from God, if you hear from God, surely you will not be the same. How many of you um, have ever been in a relationship with someone else? You should all raise your hands. If not, you're not breathing, check your pulse. Um, you know, if you're in a, a, a romantic relationship or if you are like married to someone, you ever feel like you just long for them to say certain things to you? And, you know, you want them to walk in the door. You walk in the door, and they have rose petals scattered on the floor for you, and they say, welcome home, darling. I love you so dearly. And they dance up to you, wrap their arms around you, and they speak words of life into your soul. Instead, you get things like, have you taken the trash out yet, you know? But we do long to hear certain things from certain people. How much more so from God? Do you realize one word from the Good Shepherd can radically change your life? I don't know about you, but as I thought about this, and even between services, I thought that, you know, we need everything we need to know about God, we've kind of learned for the time we're little. If we're exposed to him, you guys remember this little song? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. We are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. You know, I think that song is probably one of the most theologically sound songs that, I, that I've ever sung. And I remember Tracy and I, remember Spark, singing that to our kids and with their kids every night. The time they were little all the way through life. Remember that, Michaela? We would sing that song. That song matters. That song makes a difference. If you know the love of God, surely you cannot be the same. 
So today we're going to talk about knowing the voice of God, listening to love in a world full of hate. Anybody agree that the world is filled with hate? Okay, so you know, God is love. That's what the scripture says. Now, how does love come to us? I want to do a brief kind of review. If I can change this PowerPoint slide, it's not moving. You know, this is like powerlessness at its best. I was love. Peter, do you do that intentionally? Do you think like Jeff needs a little growth opportunity? <clears throat> Getting a little too brazen. Let's humble him. So um, I've talked about this before, but you know, I've also added to this list um, this fourth one. But would you say these words after me, please? His spirit, his word, his people, his creation, right? So these are the resources of God. If you've come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, he has given you his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is referred to as the spirit of truth, the counselor, the one who convicts you, the one who leads you, the one who prompts you, and we do hear directly from God. Sometimes we get a word of knowledge, sometimes we get a word of prophecy, sometimes we just have a prompting in our spirits, and of course we're called to test the spirits against the word of God. You see, because God remains himself regardless of what you and I think about him. He is the same yesterday, today, and always. And he is always love. So when he speaks to us through his spirit, he also speaks to us through his word. And then he uses his people, the fellowship of God. Now, the fellowship of God is not perfect. It's comprised of broken people who fail each other. But when we fail each other, you know what we do? We forgive each other. That's what makes us different than the world around us. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples and that you carry a big Bible and memorize a bunch of scripture. Did Jesus say that? By, all, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples and that you wear a big crucifix around your neck and you spout off all kinds of judgment towards people around you. That's not what he said. He said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples and that you love each other period you see we are the fellowship of God and God reveals himself to us together through his spirit through his word and through us collectively that's why the scripture says a person benefits from a multitude of counselors his creation screams his glory anybody look at like bugs and dogs and deers and ants recently anybody see a leaf recently you got a couple back there. Like, you're super excited. I am too. There's like two of us that have like looked at nature recently. You know, you can live in this world and not look at God's creation. You can live in buildings and breathe stale air your whole life. It's a horrible way to live. You got to get out in it. You know why? Because the scripture says it testifies. It tells the story of God. It says if we don't scream, the rocks are going to cry out. Amen? So God speaks to us through his spirit, his word, his people, and his creation. But today we're going to look today at the voice of the good shepherd. We're going to look at John 10. So if you have Bibles, you can open up to John 10. We're going to actually start in John 9 because context is very important. Many of you have heard this, the good shepherd and his sheep. Now, by the way, we're called sheep in the scripture. We're called other things as well. But being called a sheep is both a compliment and an insult. Because sheep are beautiful creatures, but they are not the sharpest tools in the shed, if you know what I mean. Sheep easily get lost, they stray away. They can fall over and literally not get up and die. There, there's all kinds of about things about sheep that we need to understand that's true about our condition and why we need a good shepherd. But this scripture communicates 
that the sheep of God know the shepherd's voice. We're going to talk about that in a second. But we want to contrast it to um, professional religious people. When I was first, uh, you know, kind of planting this, this little kingdom expression with my wife, I had a, a brother come to me the first year, and I'll never forget. He came to me, and he said a question. He said, Pastor Jeff, how can I pray for you? What's the greatest temptation you face? It was a great question. I had to stop for a minute and kind of talk to the Lord about it. And I think he expected me to say, well, pray that I don't fall into lust, or pray that I don't fall into any one of those other temptations that were so easily kind of drawn towards. That wasn't it at all. I just said quickly, Please pray that I do not become a Pharisee. He said, why? I said, because people in my role, it's so easy for me to forget that this is about relationship and swap it out for a bunch of rules. Would you please pray that I do not become a religious man? I want to have a relationship with my God. And I want to speak from that place of love because of his relationship with me. You see, the Pharisees forgot They forgot who God was, and they wanted to take control of people, and they wanted to lord that control over people. They wanted to heap heavy burdens on people's backs. Why? So that they could stay in control. That's what religion does. Religion burdens you down with a bunch of rules and regulations, and you forget that there's a God who loves you and longs to have relationships. That's the difference. And so Jesus, in John 9, he's healing this blind guy who was blind from birth. Go back and read it. It's an awesome story. Of course, it's Jesus. He's like so awesome. So this guy who's been blind from birth, can you imagine the pain that he must have struggled being blind from birth? He never saw anything, never knew what a color was, never saw light. Like he didn't, he didn't see any of that. Obviously, he didn't know what he was missing either, but he was living amongst the people who could see and he could not see. And he met with Jesus. And Jesus does this crazy thing. He heals him on the Sabbath, which he knows is going to tick off the professional religious people. But he also does this. He spits on the ground. Now, why is that important? How many of you find it disgusting when somebody spits? I'm not going to spit for you now. That probably would be inappropriate. But, you know, the, the Pharisees, they found it inappropriate because there was a law against spitting on the Sabbath. So they made a bunch of laws so they could control people. And those rules, supposedly, were rules they could enforce, and then they could power up on people, and they could power, you know, push them down where they belonged. And one of those rules was, you can't spit on the Sabbath, you can't work on the Sabbath, you can't heal on the Sabbath, you can't do all this kind of stuff. By the way, that wasn't God's rules, that was man-made regulations. So they wanted to heap all these heavy burdens on people's backs. And so you think this guy, Jesus, spits in the mud on the Sabbath. He takes in the dirt and he puts it together. He puts it on the guy's eyes. And the guy opens his eyes and he can see for the first time ever. Is that not amazing? Do you think if that happened right here in front of us that we would be all like jumping up and screaming with joy? I hope so. For if not, maybe you're a Pharisee. I see it all the time. I see people's lives being touched by God, and people are like, well, that can't be true. It's not in line with this particular scripture. Whoa, slow down. Did you see what God's doing in this person's life? Yeah, but it doesn't really fit with this. You're a Pharisee, dude, and I've been there. I know what that's like to live under that heavy yoke. Let it go. 
So Jesus is loving the Pharisees by trying to shake these things out of them by spitting in the ground. Matter of fact, by spitting on the ground, he's kind of saying, in your face, Pharisees. Can you say that after me? In your face, Pharisees. You should always be able to kindly and lovingly say to people, in your face, Pharisee. It's true. Now you can say it to yourself when you get up in the morning. The minute you start judging the people around you, the minute your heart starts turning cold because they're not doing things the right way, you've got to kind of turn to yourself and say, in your face, pharisaical self, I want to be with Jesus. Because Jesus hung out by the, with the people that knew they needed him. He said it's not the well that need a physician, but the sick. He wasn't saying that there was anybody who was well. He was saying that these people think they're well and they're not. It even makes them sicker because they don't know they need me. So the Pharisees, he turns to them and he says things like this, you're whitewashed tombs, you're a brood of vipers, you hypocrites. Can you imagine what the modern vernacular for that language might have been? I think we'd say, oh my gosh, that guy can't be a Christian. But he was Christ. And he was ripping them a new one, man. Like he was really freaking out on these guys. Why? Because love sometimes gets mad. And so he was mad because these were the guys that were supposed to represent God. These were the guys that were calling on the name of God all the time. But he called them thieves and robbers. Why? They were stealing from God the words of God, and they didn't have the heart of God. How about you? Do you use Scripture to bludgeon people rather than woo them with love? Do you use your godliness to compare yourself down to other people, or do you get down in the dirt with them? You see, he got down in the dirt with people. He loved people who knew that they needed him. And he came to this guy, and he healed his eyes, and you would think these Pharisees would be jumping up and down with joy. You would think that they would be excited because this guy is healed, and you know what? They're just even madder because they don't want to give up their control. They don't want to give up their power. So they come to this blind guy and they say, surely you weren't blind from birth. And he goes, yes, I was. And they go to his parents and his parents are like, hey, he can answer for himself. But one thing we know, is he was blind from birth. And they go to him, well, surely this guy's a sinner that healed. He said, look, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. How do you argue with that? So Jesus, now wanting to address the Pharisees in chapter 10, comes to them and says, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, listen up, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. He says, you are robbing God, who happens to me be the way, of my heart. You're missing my heart. You're using my words, but you're using them wrong because you don't even know how much love I have for you. And so you're missing the whole point, Pharisees. You're thieves and robbers. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. And now he says he's the gate. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. How many of you have ever tended sheep? Good, so if I get this wrong, not too many people can criticize me. Okay, <clears throat> so there's a difference between leading a flock and driving a flock. Leading a flock is when a shepherd actually goes before the flock and they follow him because they know that he is a good shepherd and he has their best interest at heart. 
driving a flock or driving a herd is when you get behind the herd and you use fear to drive the herd in one direction. So you yell, you crack a wick, and you scream, and now you're driving them in the opposite. Jesus, the good shepherd, leads his sheep. He woos us with his love. He says, come and follow me. And so it says, he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought all, out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So I want you to watch this little video of a, a flock of sheep. Um, as I mentioned, sheep have both strengths and weaknesses, like we do. And one of their strengths is they know their shepherd's voice. They really do know their shepherd's voice. And so we'll talk a little bit more after we watch this little demonstration of that point. Let's watch. One more time. not a beautiful picture? See, sheep know the shepherd's voice. So my question for you today is simple. Do you know your shepherd's voice? Do you, do you hear his voice? And if you do, are you listening? And are you following? Because he leads his sheep out. You see, he's at the head of us. And he calls us with his love and we respond. Jesus was talking to an agrarian culture. He was speaking in a way that Pharisees could have understood him because they lived in a culture where this was normal. If you go to Israel to this day, you see sheep gates. And, you know, in that, behind those sheep gates are common sheep pens. That's where the shepherds would put all of their sheep together, especially at night. So if they were driving flocks or leading flocks throughout, they would put all of their flocks together in one common sheep pen, and there would be a gate there. And in the next day, in the morning, each shepherd would come, and they would call out to their sheep uniquely. 
And their sheep would come out of the flock and those individual sheep that belonged to that shepherd would follow him out through the sheep gate. And then the next shepherd would come and, and call their flock uniquely and they would follow him out by the sheep gate. Sheep know their shepherd's voice. Do you know God's voice? And surely if you do and you hear him talk, you will never be the same. Never be the same. I want to point out some things to you about God's voice. First of all, you need to know that God is love. God is love, the scripture says. I don't know why I need to say this all the time, but I need to say it to me and I need to say it to you. Why? Because every single one of us has a tendency to become pharisaical. We swap out rules for relationship. We may start with a relationship and then all of a sudden we think, well, God's taken me this far. I've got it from here. And now I can tell you what to do because I know what kind of rules I need to follow. It's not about a bunch of rules. Can I, can I blow your evangelical wig a little bit more? Do you the Christian life is not about stopping sinning? Some of you are going, what? How dare you? Did you know the Christian life is not about stopping sinning? The Christian life is about you getting closer to Jesus. When you get closer to Jesus, then that stuff takes care of itself. You see, he's the shepherd who leads his sheep, and when you follow him, things start to fall into place because you're listening to the voice of love. But you must know that everything he says is love. Yes, even when he calls us whitewashed tombs and broods of vipers. He's saying that in the most loving possible way you can understand why he's awakening us to the fact that we desperately need him. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. Look, he says to these Pharisees, you are heaping burdens on people's backs that you yourselves cannot even bear. And then he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because my burden is easy and my load is yike, my yoke is light. What's he saying? The yoke was the way the rabbi interpreted the law. So these rabbis were interpreting the law as a bunch of rules rather than a relationship. And as a result of that, these rules without relationship were breeding rebellion. Nobody wants to be around a Pharisee unless you're a Pharisee. Right? How many of you know a Pharisee? Don't throw an elbow into the person next to you. How many of you know a Pharisee? How many of you have ever been a Pharisee? Oh, we have a lot of educating to do here. How many of you have ever been a Pharisee? Have you ever been a hypocrite? All right, you're a Pharisee. Yes, you're welcome. That helps a little bit, right? A little more language. So we need to understand that when God speaks, God is love. Everything he says to you is love. But sometimes love is tough. You see, sometimes receiving love requires a change. How many of you love to change the way you're doing things? How many of you think your way is the right way? So, so you get the point? We're stubborn. We have this streak inside of us that wants to be God. And yet God says, no, 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 there's a lot up for grabs with me. I love you. And by the way, we can talk. Let's come with us reason together. There's a lot with God. There's freedom in Christ. But one thing that is not up for grabs is his job. He's God and we're not. So when we accept that fact, we say we're going to submit ourselves to him and lay down our lives. Listen, 
I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I laid down my life only to take it up again. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus Christ had volition. He was the God-man, and he had choice. And he chose to lay his life down for us. The question is, what is God calling you to lay down? You see, if you're serious about listening to the voice of love, his love will come to you, his love will move through you, but his love will also prompt some changes in you. And sometimes that's the hardest thing for us to do. I have the deep honor today of introducing you to someone who I have, this is like one of my top three favorite people in the world to have conversations with God about. We have lots of wonderful conversations about God. We end up laughing sometimes, crying together, and I'm so excited to have you warmly welcome my daughter, Michaela Smith, please. Please warmly welcome her. Godspeed, daughter. Good morning. Um, It's wonderful to be with you all. Uh, Before I start, I'm just going to pray. So if you could bow your heads with me. Um, Dear Jesus, thank you for this beautiful opportunity to share today. Abba, help me. Give me strength and wisdom. This story of your outrageous, immense love is one that I will sing all of my days. It is the only thing worth shouting. Therefore, lead me in sharing it. God, all I want is for others to feel the same love that I do. Yet alone I cannot inspire this, so make my words yours. Fill my mouth with that which you will have me say. Let this not be me sharing my story, but let this be you sharing yours. I love you and so th- am so thankful for your unfailing grace and forgiveness. I am yours for all of eternity. Amen. So before I start, I want, to, uh, I want you to know something. As a pastor's daughter, I am not up here, and I am not a Christian, because anybody thinks I should be. Um, I am a follower of Jesus Christ because I have experienced and fallen in love with his relentless, passionate love for me. So obviously I was raised in such a beautiful expression of God's love. I have parents who never failed to teach me who God was and who I am in him. I went to Christ-based schools, was heavily evolved and awakened, and had incredible role models who always showed me the love of Christ. Yet, I still didn't get it. I fell into the same lie that so many do, that I had to be a certain way in order for God to love me and approve of who I was. I tried so hard to be who I thought I was supposed to be and to do all the right things, but it wasn't enough. It left me empty, confused, and angry. I set such an unreachable standard for how I thought I was supposed to act that it left me unfulfilled in my search of God. So I gave up. I threw in the towel and decided I was gonna try to do life on my own. I thought I could bring more joy into my life than God could ever give me. So I tried. I lived life how I saw fit, yet my emptiness continued to deepen. My soul was wrapped in this darkness that clouded any love going in or out of it. It became harder and harder to find love as I ran further and further away from the author of it. But boy, did I try. I self-medicated with anything I could get my hands on, especially other people. Codependency was my drug of choice. I literally could not be left alone without going into panic attacks. I was consumed by the strong hope of fear. 
I got to the point where I couldn't even think the name of Jesus without feeling shame and condemnation at the image of who I was becoming. I was angry, scared, and emotionally exhausted. I couldn't see any light, and I thought I may never again. Yet my God, he never left me. I could feel him tap on my shoulder occasionally, asking for me back. Yet I always turned away. I was afraid of having to let go of a long-term relationship I was in that wasn't what he wanted for me. I was afraid of never being happy, and I was afraid of never living up to who I thought he wanted me to be. So around the time I turned 20, I was living with my then boyfriend. Uh, my depression peaked at the worst it had ever been. My heart ached for something higher and bigger than what I was experiencing. Loneliness was a scary reality, and I didn't know where to turn. The fear I lived in was a debilitating stronghold on my life. I was sitting on my sofa, sobbing at everything and nothing as had become my norm, when Jesus spoke through a friend. He suggested I adopt a dog, which everyone knows is the cure for everything. So um, <laughs> I went to a local animal shelter um, to look, and the moment I laid eyes on Geneva, something tugged on my heart. My Abba, he was speaking to me. That's the one for you, he said. Jenny, who's in these two pictures, the one on the left is one of the first days I met her. Um, she was rescued by the Soy Dog Foundation in Phuket, Thailand. Um, they actually stole her from the illegal meat trade. Um, so just like we eat cows and pigs in the US, they eat dogs and cats, which is just a cultural difference, um, but it's unregulated by the government. So they um, really, the dogs um, endure severe abuse and neglect um, because the government doesn't have a hand in it. So she was a shell of a dog when I first met her. Um, she shook like a leaf when almost anyone got near her to the point she was basically unadoptable. But I spent two months with her at the rescue and then I brought her home. Um, so never having been in a home before, Jenny was a wreck. Um, we were sitting outside um, when all of a sudden she looked at me knowingly, almost as if to say, see ya. She looked at me and backed straight out of her harness and she took off across a busy road. Obviously I was panic stricken and I chased after her. Um, she led me into the grounds of an abandoned country club, then into the woods. She kept turning around to acknowledge my presence, but then would continue to run. Running through dense thorns and thickets, I stayed behind her. Not prepared for a hike, I was wearing shorts and flip-flops, and my flip-flops fell off, and thorns dug into my feet and ripped up my legs, um, but I kept on. I never lost sight of her, nor her of me. I did everything I could to get her attention and call her back, from singing to quoting scripture to praying. As she got tired, she slowed down a bit. I would crawl out to her, yet every time I reached within an arm's length, she would run again. This happened over and over. She'd allow me to get so close, then fear would take over and off she'd go. I don't even think she knew what she was running from. All she knew was she was petrified of being hurt again. So after about an hour, Jen ran up along a stream and I was able to corner her against the water. Tired of running and with immense fear, she looked at me with eyes that screamed for me not to hurt her like everyone else had. She dropped to her belly and she gave in. I wrapped my arms around all 35 pounds of her and carried her back home. I didn't put her down again until we were sitting on my living room floor. About a week later, I was sitting with my dad on his back porch and we were talking about the experience. Um, he turned to me and he said something that I'll never forget. He said, Kay, I wonder what God is trying to tell you about your relationship with him through Geneva. But maybe I'm reading too much into it. <laughs> I was like, oh, yep, that's probably it. I was like, that's not possible. Um, but I was still so closed off and angry about any connection that could be made to God. So on my drive home, my Abba turned to me, and he said something with a heart full of grace and such sweet, gentle love. He said, my dear daughter, I love you more than you could ever fathom. 
your earthly father is right. Just like Geneva, you have been running a long, long time. You're scared, wounded, and exhausted. Michaela, I have been chasing you for years. Just like you want to save Jen from all the dangers of this world that will harm her, I want the same for you. Yet you let me get so close, and when I, and when I reach out to embrace you, you run again. My love, just drop to the ground and allow me to wrap my arms around you to carry you home. All I want to do is keep you safe, feed you, quench your thirst, and let your soul rest in my infinite love for you. So allow me. For you, my child, belong with me. I love you outrageously, and that has never changed. So I cried, and I realized how much my soul missed resting in the great arms of my Heavenly Father. I felt him, his love, and his beautiful tenderness for me. I was his beloved, and through all of my running, he has never left my side. He didn't want anything from me at that time other than for me to rest in his love and presence. So that's what I did. I meditated on his love and only his love. I thoroughly believe God sent a dog over from Thailand into my arms just to show me how immense his love is for me. The closer I got to my God, the more uncomfortable I became with the way I was living. His love incited in me a godly sorrow. God wanted so much more for me than to be living with someone I wasn't married to. I knew he wanted me to leave the relationship I was, not in, I was in, yet it left me with so many unanswered questions. I didn't know where I was going to live or what life would look like without someone I had spent almost four years with. So I turned to God, and I cried out. I can't do this on my own, I said in desperation. I am still so scared and so hurt. I dug this hole for myself, but I can't get out of it. I was like, you're going to have to do this for me. And he reminded me again of his beautiful promise. I never said that you had to do this alone. In fact, I said the opposite. I will carry you through this. And he is so faithful. Not only did he change the desires of my heart to align with his, he made the words flow out of my mouth to start the discussion leading to the end of our relationship. And he even made my split mutual. Again, I cried, not knowing where I was going to live. I begged him to do this for me, too. And he said, okay. He opened up a door for me to move back in with my parents, and he continued to pour out his unconditional, relentless love onto me. He simply asked for me to rest in it. It was one of the hardest years of my life, yet never have I so fully been able to say, it is well with my soul. I was at peace, and in the midst of all the tumultuous change, I was loved, I was free, and it was all because of Jesus, the lover of my soul. If only I had known what the Lord had planned for me. The irrational fears I had of things like being alone went away immediately. I had a stronghold of fear that I was carrying, and it was broken by he who is the conqueror of fear. Not only did he take them away, he taught me to dance amidst what I was once afraid. I love my solitude now, for I know now, even though I may be by myself, I am never really alone. I am passionately pursuing my dream career in a loving relationship with a man who God placed in my life and blessed beyond belief. And I can find joy day in and day out in the little blessings he leaves me everywhere. All because I let go of what was not meant for me and took up what he so lovingly handed me. He is good. And he continues to chase after me day in and day out. My God, he relentlessly pursues me just like he does you. 
There is nothing you can do to make him love you less. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you because that is what he is like. You will always be his beloved, so be loved. It is your job to be loved outrageously by God. He wants you to open your heart to him to receive more of his radical love than you have ever experienced in your life. When you're tired and weak, he wants to carry you and hold you close. So open your heart to him and let him wrap you in his arms, let him wrap his arms around you and carry you home. Because of his passionate, unrelenting love for me, I choose to dedicate my life to him. Thank you for letting me share. Okay. Yeah, I was sitting down there going, how am I going to continue? I felt the same way at the first service. God is so good. Don't you ever doubt him. So, maybe I shouldn't even try. <laughs> We're just going to, I'm going to call the worship team out. Come on out, guys. Um, so, I want you to understand something. God is speaking to you now. What is he saying to you? You see, all of us have this inclination to see and hear him tapping on our shoulder and saying, I'm here. Right? I mean, okay, you said something to me earlier this week. He said, I don't ever really have to run to him. He's always there. All I have to do is turn around and fall in his arms. He's right here, right now, with you, and he's speaking to you, and he's singing to you, and he's telling you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Will you let me love you? So the question I have for you is, what's it going to take for you to let God love you today? How can you fall into his arms? Because everything he says to you is love. And when you listen to him and when you obey him, it's always worth it. Can you say that with me? It's always worth it. Why? Because in the end, it pays off. It doesn't pay off in earthly rewards. It doesn't necessarily pay off in material wealth. It pays off in kingdom bucks. And they are so much better. Right? There are a million fold what you could ever find in anything material here on planet Earth because God is the one who created us. And he is the answer to every question that you have. So I want to ask you today, what's God saying to you? And are you willing to listen and receive his love? I'm going to ask the prayer team to come forward. If there's folks here on the prayer team, I'd like you to come up now. And if you're here today, maybe there's a word from God that you need to hear. Maybe there's someone in your life 
a daughter, a son, a mother, a father, whatever it is who you know needs to know the love of God, I want you to come up. I want you to come up now and I want you to let these people pray for you. I want you to ask God to speak to you so clearly that you can just sense his presence. And I want you to ask him to help you because you can't trust him on your own. You can't obey him on your own. You don't have the strength and you don't have the power. But he does. And he is the one who will guide you if you just take this step. And he'll write a new story. I can promise you this. He'll write a new story and he'll put a new song in your mouth. A song of praise to him. So Lord Jesus, we ask you now, as we enter into a time of worship, that you guide us into knowing, Lord, that you do speak and that your sheep know your voice. We don't always listen to it, God. So Lord Jesus, Son of God, grant us mercy to know that you are the lover of our souls. And that you can change our lives just like you changed your daughter, Michaela. You're there. You're willing. You're ready. But you're a gentleman. We thank you, Lord, for being patient and kind and gentle and long-suffering. We thank you for being the unrelenting hound of heaven that chases after us and will not let us go. Love that will not let us go. God, I pray now that you'd help us to hear afresh from you, anew from you. For surely, after hearing, we will never be the same. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ. All God's people said, let's